Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there. It's uh, Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. Welcome to the program. Dr. Ross Green here. program, as always, brought to you by Lives in the Balance. I'm glad you were able to join in today, whether live or listening to the recorded program. We are supposed to have an educators panel today. And... Uh, we have at least one panel member already joining in um, from the uh, West Coast. Carol, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Ross? I'm doing well. And um, I guess we can have a panel if it's just you. I guess me and you make a panel, yes. <laughs> I guess so. But I'm betting that uh, both... Tom and Nina will be joining us at some point today. Um, I certainly will. I, I just spent two days, and, and I am uh, my my um, resolution for today's educators panel is to say as little as possible, given that I think I talked too much during the last one. Um, people can hear me on the other programs that aren't the educators panel, but when it's the educators panel. We should have them hearing you all. I always ask you all if you have anything that you'd like to start the program with. I have two emails from people who are asking questions that are related to helping behaviorally challenging students at school, and we can get to them at some point or not get to them at some point, but let me extend the invitation. Anything that you wanted to start the program with today? Well, since you asked, um, what I've been kind of grappling with a little bit and some of my staff have been grappling with is, and I think we talked about this a couple of um, months ago um, when we were talking about um, some students for whom we use kind of traditional disciplinary methods with, um, you know, consequences and removal of privileges and things like that, and other students for whom collaborative problem or sorry, solving problems in a collaborative way is... Um, is kind of what's necessary because they don't respond to it. And I, I recall when I first read Lost at School, um, that was one of the things that kind of stuck with me is that our traditional methods um, are effective with a majority of students who, who do have skills, but they just kind of make mistakes or screw up once in a while. And the students that we're working with um, using you know Plan B conversations is a population of students who do have a, you know, a severe skill deficit in terms of handling situations adaptively. So on the last program when we were discussing that, um, we it kind of came around way, to... Before you, you go on, yep. 
Nina has now joined us. Hi, Nina. Oh, great. Hello. How are you? Good. You. Keep going, Carol. Good. Okay. Um, so when we were discussing this the last time we discussed it on the program, we kind of came around to why wouldn't we use um, Plan B conversations for kind of all kids that are having behavioral problems. And so I've been kind of grappling with that a little bit because um, my school, um, as you know, I, I kind of introduced this approach. Uh, we're in our third year now, and um, it did kind of take a while to, to wrap heads around. Of, it was such a different way of doing things compared to what had um, been done historically at the school. And while I have a, a large number of staff who agree philosophically with the approach, we're all kind of still struggling with the implementation because I think, and I think what it's coming down to is that we're using the approach at the wrong time. I think we're using it in a reactive way after an incident has occurred um, rather than proactively. Um, so just just wondering if we could maybe throw around some ideas on balancing what do you do, and this is kind of work that I that I want to do with my staff in an upcoming ProD session, but how do you, obviously Plan B conversations are preventative um, in terms of making a plan to prevent future incidents and helping kids develop skills. Um, and of course, we've got the supportive part afterwards where, you know, after, not not immediately after, but, you know, following up after an incident, we're providing kids with, you know, uh, skill development lessons, working with different staff members or what have you. But how about right, right immediately after an incident, responding to that? And because what I'm struggling with is that I'm still feeling this um, need to, demonstrate the boundaries of acceptable behavior in the school. And I'm feeling like I'm I'm we're we're struggling with that part. How do we demonstrate that there are specific explicit boundaries of behavior within the school um so that kids aren't getting the wrong idea or the wrong message that you know they do something and that this conversation happens but there isn't a kind of a parameter being set there. Does that make sense? In keeping with my vow to say as little as possible today, but knowing full well that I will have difficulty resisting the temptation, <laughs> I am going to defer to Nina, um, and then if I have anything to add, I will. But um, Nina, I'm betting that you've uh, dealt with this in your building as well. How do you stick with the model but still make sure that... Um, kids are clear that there are behaviors that are acceptable and behaviors that are not. Yes. I, if we I want think to be using an example, we could use something like swearing. I think that's so interesting and definitely is something that we've grappled with before. And actually, I was looking through some old, you know, old information emails from last year, and um, my, my principal at that time and I sat down and really tried to clearly outline that, you know, Solving problems collaboratively does not mean that there are no expectations or, um, you know, rules or anything. And I think somehow, some sometimes, I think when the switch happens, that gets misunderstood for a while, and it's either this all-or-nothing sort of approach, uh, mindset of um, maybe as classroom. I don't know if teachers or parents or everything that it's either nothing happens or or it's really you know you. Do, even get more strict than you usually are, kind of to make up for mm -hmm. what people think that I've, I'm trying to implement. 
so we really clearly outlined, you know, our philosophies that are embedded as well with, um, you know, with using the Plan B conversations. That it it doesn't mean that there aren't that you don't set rules in the class. That just the normal, typical classroom management techniques are still really important and really in the cornerstone of what you do every day. Um, just managing an elementary school classroom and um, and just good, you know, good practice and good teaching. So. I think that is that's a lot of conversation. I'm not sure why that takes so much conversation because I think for me, I just I, you just kind of understand that when you just start to train in um, you know in Plan B conversation and Dr. Green's approach. Then, uh, but for some people, it takes a lot of that really is clearly defining that you're still doing what you're doing, but this is another another mindset and another way of thinking kids who are challenging that we weren't treating that we weren't successful with before um so i've definitely seen that as well and i also think what you said that we we will and sometimes still get stuck in that rut of catching you kind of playing catch up that we're not solving the problems beforehand but catching up after and then that does feel you know it just doesn't it feels like you're not doing it the right way so i think that takes mm -hmm. working with the staff to find time to make sure that we're solving the problems because it's so frustrating to be feeling like you're just waiting for the next problem and then, or the next explosion or the next whatever, and then, um, you know, but that that's that takes time as well. So I don't know if that's kind of what you were talking about, but yeah, what does it look like in your school, Nina? When um, so let's say some kids get into a scuffle on the playground and they're sent to the office because yep. this is where you know, in my mind, okay, the kids are coming to me, I use Dr. Green's approach to when I'm working with yep. challenging students. But yep. that moment isn't the time to be doing it. Because right. that moment the kids are elevated, it's kind of just finding out what happened. But in your school, do you still um, carry on with consequences with that? Like do you still remove privileges? Or is it kind of, um, you know, tomorrow during lunch we're going to meet and we're going to talk about um, how to prevent this from happening. And then kind of, I don't, I don't know if it sounds kind of sneaky, like I don't, you know, we're not giving you a detention, but we're going to have a Plan B conversation <laughs> during your lunch yeah. period. I know. No, what I think like for, for you guys, for me, that I I definitely use, you know, for in the moment, if two kids are sent in, I I see it as well. They've missed some of their recess because they were fighting and had to come in. So you know, to me, that's what. I, and and I would, you know, a phone call home. I try to make sure that my staff and that parents realize, like, well, that is a consequence. You know, that they were sent to the principal. They had to talk about it and. Um, right. had a phone call home, and then we, but it turns, it's a plan B conversation, but it's still a conversation, because also our staff is really trained in, in responsive classroom where you don't want to take away recess, and you don't want to take away, um, you know, the things that they need to practice these social skills, so it goes really well together, because being sent in, to me, being sent into recess, and and phone call home is, is a consequence, I mean, it's, but it's at least when we're talking to each other and making a plan, we're solving the problems um, instead of just trying to. Do you know what I'm saying? So it, I'm trying to. Yeah. Because I know that that's such a big deal to staff and parents saying, "Well, what are the consequences?" Well, isn't mm -hmm. that a consequence? I mean, that is a consequence. Yeah. That, that really is a consequence. I know for me, when I get phone calls, I think what they're they're looking for the word deterrent. I know. Right? Like it's yep. not a deterrent. Like I literally, the reason this all kind of has been festering in my mind for almost a month is that I had a student say to his teacher, you know, well, so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so got in a fight at lunch, and now they're back in their classroom at later in the afternoon. Why didn't anything happen to them? And 
from now on, this kid said to his teacher, if someone gets up in my face, I'm just going to punch him because I know nothing's going to happen to me. So yeah. what I'm actually struggling with now, it's not even just the expectations of parents or staff. It's actually the expectations of the kids yeah. that they expect to be punished. And I'm thinking, okay, you've been in my school since I got here. Don't you? Haven't you figured this out yet? I know. But do you think we, that we have been from... joined by Tom, uh, who may hello want hey, to weigh in here? Tom, the general topic is uh, well, you're hearing what the general topic is. You've been on the line for <laughs> a few minutes now. Um, how do you maintain behavioral standards by doing Plan B? And what happens to? And I think that um, it was an example from Tom's school that um, precipitated the discussion uh, one or two educator panels ago. Um, Carol's been mulling this. Tom, maybe you've been mulling it too. Anything you want to weigh in on? Well, I think it's it goes back to this piece about balance and, and trying to figure out, um, you know, for, for the majority of students, let's say 90%, 85 to 90%, as, as we've talked about many times, Ross, the uh, traditional, quote, discipline, you know, we treat our friends with respect. If you choose not to do that, then you owe me five minutes of recess, ten minutes of recess, a call home to parents, um, a bus slip for not behaving on the bus, parents follow through, the kid kind of realizes they can't fool around on the bus and things get better and they just keep, they just they just go. I think where we get stuck is in the kids that um, are potentially standing at the wall at recess for, you know, parts of every recess for three months. It's kind of like, we have, at what point do we as practitioners reflect and say this intervention is not effective? I mean, medical doctors would not keep giving someone the same medication over and over again if they weren't getting better. So I think that when that's occurring, that's that's particularly important. I mean, we should always be working to solve problems collaboratively regardless. But but I think that, that in situations where any kind of traditional discipline or, or assertion of uh, expectations is not effective uh, repeatedly, then that becomes even more – it becomes more important to move toward or to implement Plan B because we have to have conversations uh, – that will allow children to voice their concerns uh, and, and then to help us to figure out what, what our concerns are and then figure out a solution that's actually effective. And it's, I mean, you see so many times kids just staying in for recess all the time or standing on the wall or missing things that are fun or being sent home and at the high school level being suspended over and over and over again. I just have to, I mean, the definition of insanity is to do something the same way over and over again and expect a different result. Why, why would we do that? I think that's exactly. You just summed it up so well. That's exactly, you know, just exactly the thinking here as well. And that, you know, and I think also a lot of. I just was talking to a parent the other day about how a child going home and saying something about lack of rules or consequences, or and realizing that I think a lot of, all, you know, kind of tip, the typical consequences are just embedded in throughout the day. I mean, no longer do we shame kids or punish kids, we say, oh, you know, it looks like you're having a hard time con concentrating with that friend. You need to move over here. You know, just really quick things all mm -hmm. the time. And I think somehow they're they're just not as they're just out there as they used to be. You know, you don't we don't have in school suspension all these things that there used to be there. So it's a matter of also educating people and what is best practice for children. 
Yeah, so like what I've what I've found myself doing more and more often now is um, you know, going re- returning to, you know, practice that I used in the classroom, which is giving students choices. So saying, yep. you know, right now your behavior is not working in the classroom. You've got a couple of choices. You can, you know, work at the back of the room so that you're, you know, you're not distracting anyone or you can work in your buddy class. You can come up at work at the office. Um and if you can't choose any of those things, then we are going to have to call home and figure out a new plan because they have to be obviously within the school and being being functional. And then maybe the next day returning and speaking with the student about, okay, so tell me about what was going on yesterday. Mm-hmm. But what I'm finding, I think, is that I'm taking on a lot of that myself and I'm not, I'm kind of disempowering my staff. I've been doing a lot of self-reflection yes. this month. I feel like in some yeah. ways I'm disempowering my staff by taking on a lot too much of this. Mm-hmm. So I, I do want to return to to working with, um, you know, not a, not every staff member is comfortable using the method, and I haven't. You know, we're not an official project implementation type school. It's been more just by word of mouth and some presentations I've done. So, you know, the people who are uh, learning about it and working on the approach, um, obviously, I have an easier time collaborating with them and having you know asking them to take over some of the conversations because a lot of the time it's stuff that's occurring in the classroom. Um, but a lot of the time, it's kind of me, me and the student working on a problem that's taking place in someone else's classroom, which is difficult. It's so hard to do that. There's nothing harder, I think, than trying to solve somebody, you know, a problem that's that you weren't involved in because it's you never know what what the teacher feels comfortable with, and then you always worry about overstepping or or you know not doing what they wanted you to do. So I, I totally yeah. I I deal with that a lot too, and. Um, you know, just the other day, I was I was in an all-day training here and kept getting called out, and my, you know, in realizing that that's kind of that thing I've set up too, where I go and help and come back, but I <laughs> I need to help, you know, my staff too because they're so they're so good at it, they're so amazing, but I want, you know, I need to give them some more time to be able to, to do what they need to do to have the power as well. So, right, we're in and I think boat. they're. <laughs> You get to a point where, you know, when people are feeling confident with using the approach, then they need the time. So then my role right. shifts to I can come and cover your class because, you know, again, asking teachers to give up their prep time and stuff, it's a bit of a touchy situation. So some, some people are willing to do that to meet with students and others aren't. So, yeah. you know, then saying, you know, I can come and, and give you 15, 20 minutes of time so you can go and have that conversation. But, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's it's a challenge. And so I, I was I kind of wondering if, yeah, I guess what I was hoping no, that's to just a good hear idea what it too. looks like in other schools. I think for me that you just, you know, I, that's really what I should be doing now because I do have a staff that's really comfortable with the model and um, that's such a good idea that I can offer, hey, instead of being called, during the, like called scheduled times to watch their class. So that's a really good yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely hard to kind of fit in on the spur of the moment. Let me just yeah. weigh in on two quick things because I can't resist. The, the You've mentioned one that's huge that can be an impediment to people um, moving forward with the model, and that is the whole proactive piece. Um, people are, until they're really good at it, and until a school I find is largely doing mostly proactive plan B, doing things emergently is often not the best way to help people start feeling confident 
in their use of the model. But worse than that, often not a very good way to get problems solved. And so if plan B is being done predominantly emergently and emergency plan B is far less effective than proactive plan B at solving problems, then people are experiencing less success with the model than they could be. Mm-hmm. By sheer, sheer solely because of the timing issue, and that quite naturally leads people to question why they're doing what they're doing because if the same behaviors are being seen over and over again despite people's efforts to do proactive, to do emergency plan B, then they're not going to keep doing it and they're going to return back to their other option, plan A. But something also came up today during a supervision session that I was doing with some educators who are trying to get good at plan B. And I was listening to an actual plan B. And there was some very, it was proactive, so that wasn't the issue. And there was some very good drilling for information going on, so that wasn't the issue. The issue was that they were still focused on behavior, not the unsolved problems giving rise to the behavior. And so the vast majority of the drilling was devoted to talking about the behavior, hitting, mm-hmm. not just like interviewing about details situations. of the behavior. Correct. Not this. No, not the details of the behavior, but the specific situations in which the behavior was mm-hmm. occurring. In other words unsolved problems. And so there was some spectacular drilling going on, but it was all about the kid's behavior, not about, and this is what we learned when I asked more questions, not about the disagreements that were precipitating the hitting, what the disagreements were about, who the disagreements were with. If all we're working on is hitting, we're not going to solve anything. And so Um, And this is not something I'm always so aware of. Not only is the timing piece crucial, but in this particular plan B, the issue wasn't that it wasn't proactive. It was. wasn't that the teacher wasn't drilling well. She was. It was that all she was drilling about still was behavior. And it's very tempting to go back to plan B when all you're focused on is behavior because we are all very accustomed to what we do with behavior in traditional discipline. You reward the behaviors you like, and you punish the behaviors you don't. But that makes no sense only if you're focused on the unsolved problems giving rise to the behaviors rather than the behaviors themselves. Carol, you'd know best whether any of those things are coming into play. You've already mentioned the timing issue. Just want to make sure that People are indeed focused on unsolved problems. And quite frankly, that's also what makes it possible for us to solve these things proactively. So the two actually weave together. Focusing on unsolved problems helps us be proactive instead of emergent. Thoughts? No, I I agree. Go ahead, ahead, Tom. No, no, go ahead, Nina. No, it's fine. I was just thinking that um we've we've brought we've discussed um several of these students that are that are being the most challenging right now um at our school based team meetings and we use the ALSUP as a as a kind of a focus whenever it is kind of a more of a behavioral concern rather than an academic. Um so I think 
we've been able to narrow down the skills and problems that are giving rise. Um, I guess, I guess I'm 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 experiencing exactly what you said, Ross. Is that by doing the Plan B more in a reaction to an incident, I'm not having the success, and then it's kind of like, what's going on here? So I think right. that's I think it's more my timing, yeah. We also have an emailer weighing in, um, and then let's hear what Tom has to say. But here's an emailer who's listening to the program live. By bringing a problem up, children know what is acceptable behavior and what is not. When you use punishment, especially with challenging children, you never stop to think that the message will never get through when one uses a plan A approach. Also, in many cases, it makes the situation worse. So let me elaborate on that slightly before Tom goes. You are letting the kid know that his behavior is unacceptable, whether you're using plan A or plan B. Both let the kid know that the behavior is unacceptable. Tom, what were you going to say? I I think the key... I think that the key, I've noticed some themes in dealing with behaviors and meeting with different specialists and experts on behavior, and I really think that the key word is proactive. I think that people often focus on, um, it's kind of like Stephen Covey, the four quadrants, you know, the, there's the emergency, there's the it's important but it's not an emergency and it's an important um, and then it's the not important. You know, there are like four quadrants that he talks about. And what happens with kids is in schools, we're, we're just so busy and there's so much going on that we pretty much always deal on what's, impo- what's in front of us. Mm-hmm. And what the big shift is, I thought at first that the, the biggest philosophical shift in this model for people in schools was to think about that kids do well if they can. And that is a significant shift. But lately, I've just been realizing that it's a bigger shift to get people to be proactive and to work with kids if you know the student's going to be set off at 1.10 then, or 1 o'clock, then somebody should, should be meeting with the student prior to that with a plan to intervene at 12.59 until the student learns the habits. And I, I made up a saying after the last conference, Ross. I haven't seen you in a while. I thought you'd like this one. It was uh, solve one or you solve none. So if you choose one problem that the student is having, and you work with the child to solve it, then you start to build the, 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 the foundational pillars to build a bridge to the other side of the river by which you, you transfer the skills or knowledge from that one problem to another problem. And I think that, that the biggest complaint that staff have about that isn't whether or not they want to do it. It's for them to find the time to do it, which is another program or another huge discussion. But I think that's, you know, for students who need those kinds of huge pillar building and bridge building, we need to have multiple people involved but on the same page, and the ALSIP is what keeps people on the same page. It literally is the one single-sided sheet of paper that allows them to to stay focused on what this student's trying to solve because it, it helps the group to, to organize their efforts and choose one so that they can solve it and then choose another. I think you're exactly right. I know for me that... You know, some days I'll just, you know, crossing my fingers or knocking on wood, hoping that mm-hmm. that I, even though I know that, oh goodness, there's a potential problem about to happen. Instead of being proactive, and we get so busy, and um, the knocking on wood strategy definitely doesn't help. But but being proactive is, I think, what's I know missing sometimes for me, um, and just simply because of of being busy or, you know, not not thinking, not planning for ahead. So 
something definitely I want to work on. I spent um, the entire day last week at one of these schools that are involved in the project that we have going on in Maine. And the primary activity of the day, I, I helped them do Plan B with one of their students. But on, in five different one-hour meetings, we spent time on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and help people learn how to use it. Tom, I love your new motto. My new motto is, it all begins with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems because that's mm -hmm. what helps us get the right lenses on. It's what mm -hmm. helps us know what we're working on. And it helps us be proactive about the entire enterprise. One of the things I said to the assistant principal in that school was, now that everybody in his building, his, his school is well along in the project, now that everybody in his building knows how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, and now that he has a core group of people in his building who are good at plan B, and when problems get sent to him, from now on, he can say to the sender, have you um, completed the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems yet? Have you done plan B with that student proactively yet? My goal is to get him largely out of the business of doing plan B when kids get sent to him. And um, he's aware that's my, that that's my agenda but that's really the main way to help people start doing Plan B proactively. To kind of, and I've had assistant principals and principals tell me this that in clear terms. They say I have to stop doing Plan B emergently for people, for them to start doing Plan B proactively themselves. And I guess that's what I've been realizing is that, like I said, I've I've been disempowering people by taking on these conversations and the timing is wrong and the 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 approach is wrong and I'm so glad I was able to realize that before I got really discouraged myself. Well, I think Nina too that that part of that is the the learning curve of being an administrator who is trying to adhere to this model because there are cultural um habits in schools that have existed for sometimes multiple decades, 10, 20, 30 years, and people aren't used to us. It used to be that the principal ordered the paper, and when you had a problem, you brought it to the principal. The principal told you what to do, and you did it. And now the, the model is you go to the principal, the principal consults with you to help you to figure out a solution so that you can be successful in doing your job. Notice that the onus is on the professional staff, and that's another big shift with collaborative problem solving is that the onus comes off the kid and their family and comes toward the staff dealing with the child and being responsible, which I like Stephen Covey's thing for that too, response, able, we're able to choose our response to what walks through the door. So the child walks through the door, we are able to choose a response. Um, and if we do it proactively, then we're far more likely to know their concerns and perspective and be able to work together with them. I, I, and I think that the, the key to that is that, the, you know, my my superintendent early on in, in my position here at Moore Street School said to me, you have to learn how to flip the monkeys off your back because if you don't, they're going to pull you, pull you down under. So you have to know when to kind of turn power back over to people and, and when to get involved. But even when you're involved, you're involved in the role of facilitator to help them to solve their problems themselves. 
So I found this model to be just as effective with staff as it is with students the majority of the time. Well, Carol, I hope I'm glad you brought that up. I um, although I, I don't normally take Tom, <laughs> I don't normally take notes during the pr the program, but I've been taking lots of notes for myself today. <laughs> Good. And here's here's the interesting thing. I'm I know firsthand that um, despite their exuberant personalities, both Tom and Nina in the buildings in which they've done this had periods of feeling quite discouraged about this and um, questioning whether this was actually going to fly. Maybe Tom and Ina could talk about that a little bit. I mean, my attitude is nothing like success to get you over the hump, but maybe Tom and Nina have more to add to it than that. Oh, I think that's so true, and I think it just takes so much time. It takes more time than you're, than than expected, and I had, we had a training um on this this past Saturday, um, some some crisis training, and it was I had 22 staff members that came, and it was such an amazing conversation. It all turned back to collaborative problem solving and what we're doing, and it it was amazing to hear and sit and listen and um, share with each other. But realizing that it took this, you know, it takes that long for for um, some of these important conversations to happen. But I think that timing has it almost it has to work that way. But um, it really gets there, but it does take that patience and timing. And I also think that, you know, a lot of the philosophies of other, you know, different programs and different things are kind of all coming together, that every everything's talking about, um, you know, what, what Ross has talked about for a really long time. So it's it's kind of neat to see it all come together. Mm -hmm. That's funny. I had a, a – my guidance counselor attended the three-day training a couple of years ago, and she's a, a really – I have a wonderful guidance counselor, and she, she – uh, um, She's new here. When I was hired, we had no guidance. So I got, uh, I managed to get her here point four, and then now point eight. And she, she went to a training recently on uh, attention deficit disorder, and the presenter had either worked with you, Ross, or, or, or knew your work very well and talked a lot about how he felt that if people wanted to really help kids with attentional concerns, that, that turning to you and your model would have been, would be a really good idea um, based on the research and information that he was sharing about ADHD. And so I just think that it it it, it is any major school, I guess the, the, what I'm trying to say is that any major school change, any change in any major organization, whether it be the federal government, the military, um, uh, Apple computers, schools, it, it, it's not going to change until adults, actually experience the results of trying something new. You can yeah. tell them how to do it until you're blue in the face. You can show them the research about why to do it. You can you can do it for them and show them, look, it works. But until they actually do it themselves and get coached through it and do it successfully, they 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 intrinsically believe that either it will fail or they believe that they aren't good enough to be able to do it like someone else, so they're afraid, or they are afraid of success because success means that they, then they become responsible. And that means that blaming everything else, the kid's parents, the kid, the previous year's teacher, all of those things, uh, those devices that justify um, ineffective instruction, 
they have to melt away when people have success. So sabotage runs deep, and you have to be persistent, and you have to uh, you have to set the expectations from the administrative level for the building. There are children. We're responsible for them. We're going to do what it takes to 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 um, to meet their needs as a school community. And whenever I say that, I, I hate that. Everyone to see that movie, The Freedom Riders, where the woman like loses her husband and her you know her family just for her job to like she's there night and day and weekends i just want to be clear that i never espouse that teachers do that teachers need to go home and be with their families if people are organized and skilled they can have a very high level of instruction and still live a very reasonable life and be a teacher and i, I that's the model that i look to teach my staff is that using collaborative problem solving if you do it proactively creates more efficiency in the organization and and you really should be better off if you use it. It shouldn't take more time. It should save you tons of other time. Mm-hmm. Why is everyone always so quiet when I get done talking? I, I think I get disappointed. <laughs> You're so eloquent. Oh, you it's hard to, to you you do, have to you talk. You sum it up so well. Oh, I thought I was confusing everyone. <laughs> no, you always sum it up perfectly. <laughs> Well, it's not easy to talk about because we're talking about people and fear and change. And, I mean, it's such a difficult topic, isn't it? Absolutely. I think one of the emails um, that I was going to read to you all and have you all respond to is relevant here and probably not a bad use of our last seven minutes of the program. Want to hear it? Sure. Sure. It's from a parent. Hello, Dr. Green. My nephew is in second grade and is having a great deal of trouble at school. He has been suspended from school on numerous occasions, most recently yesterday. I have seen you speak a few times and have used your approach as an educator myself. Um, My sister also uses your method, though she doesn't know it, with him most of the time, as as well with a decent amount of success. My question is, what should we do about school? The incident that got him suspended yesterday was that he asked another student if he could pee on him, inappropriate for sure, in parentheses, and the student told the teacher, or the teacher interpreted that my nephew said he was threatening to pee on the student. This resulted in an explosion with my nephew screaming, I did not threaten him, I asked him. And that got him sent to the behavior room where the teacher said, I understand that you said you were going to pee on another student, which sent him into another explosion of greater magnitude where he began to throw chairs, saying that no one was listening, and he did not say that. Now, still reading, from an outside perspective, I guess you all can probably appreciate why I'm reading this one today. From an outside perspective, I can see why the teachers are frustrated and that throwing chairs is unacceptable. The thing that irks me is that I believe that if they had used your method and, first of all, asked him what happened, and repeated it to him in his words, the whole thing could have been avoided. My sister spoke with him, but since this is not the first time he has been suspended, and he's only in second grade, I feel like we need to do something, and now any advice would be greatly appreciated. Anyone want to weigh in to help this aunt um, help her nephew? And how to approach the school about what should happen next. I'm guessing there's probably going to be a reintegration meeting after the suspension. 
that how things are generally done? Sometimes. Yes, usually. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I'm wondering if the if the parent or the aunt kind of have an idea of of what kind of what a Plan B conversation might sound like. If rather than school staff leading the conversation, maybe one of the family members could lead the conversation with the school staff there, and don't you know not necessary to kind of tell them to read the book first or you know go into all that, but just kind of give them an opportunity to listen. Right, or even to at least share share what yeah. works at home and works at um, the family member's house because I know, you know we had a parent recently just write us, I think I sent it to you, Ross, just a beautiful letter explaining how they use collaborative problem solving at home. And it was so well written and I think just that writing piece and um, my, my staff just embraced it so quickly because it was written through, from the heart and gave such explicit, you know, kind of techniques for staff to use when working with their son um, with challenging behavior. So sometimes I think that like, kind of writing a, a letter with uh, with thoughts and what works uh, could be helpful. I, I was thinking that it might not be a bad idea for the, if the school hasn't bought into the philosophy of collaborative problem solving to bring um, a copy of the child's discipline log, which usually can be printed from the that usually if you have a suspension, you have a letter that's sent home, at least in Maine there is. I'm not sure where this person's from. So uh, um, bringing a copy of the discipline records and the suspensions and just sit down with the team and say, I know you're frustrated. We're frustrated. We love this little boy, and we know that you care about all the children in the school. And I just would like to know from you all, at what point are we all going to admit, admit as a community centered around this child that this isn't working, mm-hmm. that suspension isn't working, that um, keeping this child in from recess isn't working? He's still throwing chairs. So I've we got have to, run. to do I've got something an different. Sorry, guys. Yep. Okay. I apologize. I have to run. I have an emergency. Thanks. Bye. Bye, Bye Nina. Been there. No, I think that was Carol. That was Carol. Oh, Carol. Sorry, Nina. That's okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I was just thinking that, that just looking at the data and assessing the effectiveness objectively kind of sometimes help people to, to come to the conclusion that it's not working and that something needs to change. Tom, as you know, I've mentioned before, the author Ken Wilber distinguishes between conscious incompetence and unconscious incompetence. <laughs> While I don't love the word incompetence, I like the concept that sometimes school staff know that what they're doing now isn't working and are ready to hear about what to do instead. And sometimes school staff do not know that what they're presently doing isn't working. And that has to be, that needs to come into their awareness before they're ready to think about that they need to be doing something different because they're not even aware yet that what what they're doing now isn't working. It's sort of sometimes rather earth-shattering when you point out to people that what they're doing now isn't working, and um, that comes as a bit of a surprise to everybody well, in I think the meeting. And then, go I, ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, oh, no, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, Ross. Go ahead. I want to hear what you were saying. Well, the, uh, uh, the, the, the most desirable 
response to that is, wow, you're right. And then the best next thing they could say is, what What do you think we should do instead? Okay. Go ahead. We've got about a minute. Typically, left, typically, yeah, tip, typically what you'd get in the meeting, sadly, in a lot of cases is, yeah, it's not working because he's not getting it. Right. And so what, it's, it's like, puts it back on the child. But, yeah, and that, and that goes back to the point that that's why it's so important for parents to maintain good relationships with the school because they're more likely to be effective if they're not constantly attacking the school employees as well. Mm-hmm. So and school employees shouldn't be blaming parents. Parents shouldn't be blaming school employees unless okay. there's a legitimate reason um, for incompetence. But I do think that there needs to be some shred of, of uh, um, acceptance that the kid is a kid and the kid is doing the best they can with what they got. But that's that piece of self-reflection that's really difficult for some people. I, I know mm-hmm. that that's even you know, with that model. With the model, you really need to be able to, or or just even working with children, if you can't really look deep and see what you can contri- what you can change about your behavior, or your plans, or. Um, but that's not a hard thing to teach people, I think. Mm, well, I agree Carol, Carol did a wonderful job of modeling self-reflection for us today, Absolutely. and unfortunately. We're going to have to call it a day for today. Thank you both and Carol for doing what you do. We'll do it again next month. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.